What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the CC Delco podcast. My name is Taylor, and this is a bi-weekly podcast where we aim to go deeper than we can on a Sunday morning on a wide variety of topics. Today's episode is with Anna Walker Roberts and Mike Gaglione, and they're talking about everybody's favorite thing, spiritual disciplines. This is a really great conversation to get your foot wet, to get a deeper understanding of what it means to practice these types of disciplines. Um, our Ardmore campus is wrapping up a series on spiritual disciplines. So if you liked this conversation and didn't catch that series, head to their website, ardmore.ccdelco.com to hear more about it. So sit back, listen up, and be blessed. Hi, everybody. I'm Anna Walker-Roberts, and this is the CC Delco podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Mike Gaglione, um, and we are doing this series that is called Set Apart, and it focuses on these different spiritual disciplines. And like some people may not know what a spiritual discipline is, like that word may not be familiar. I think like some churches throw that around, some churches never talk about it. If you were going to define what spiritual disciplines are, don't get to the part of like why we should do them yet, but just mm. like what's a spiritual discipline? Dallas Willard does a really good job of this, and so does Richard Foster. And I think I'm gonna I'm gonna terribly butcher any quote that is in Divine Conspiracy. But um, what what Dallas Willard gets to that I really liked is um, that a spiritual discipline, like every other discipline, is going to um, help basically build the muscle that will eventually be used to kind of get what you're looking for that you can't do right now. Is the idea right? And so it's like, you know, when I was a kid, my dad would be like, you need to shoot a thousand shots a day. And the the discipline of doing that was not necessarily to accomplish shooting a thousand shots a day. It was that when I went into a basketball game and it was the fourth quarter and we were down by three, a thousand shots a day times 70 days of shooting a thousand shots was going to help me make that shot in the game when it really mattered. And so when I think about spiritual disciplines, I kind of think the same thing. It's like, if you want to become a person who actually brings peace to a situation, you're going to have to hone some disciplines in the times, um, you know, in like the quiet spaces or the smaller circumstances. So when the actual thing comes, you actually carry peace with you mm. because you've cultivated that through the through the discipline of months, you know. And that's like a funny thing because it's like in our culture, everything's microwaved. Me too. Like I'm just like, you know... It, there's no way that anybody's a Christian hasn't had that experience where like things have gone horribly wrong in your life because of the lack of discipline. And then you have this moment where everything comes crashing down and you're basically like, God, just give me X. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's the thing is you were supposed to cultivate X over the course of years so that in this critical moment you make the right decision, you know? So yeah, like I think that's that Dallas Willard idea I think is really important is this idea of we can't do it now and the disciplines the spiritual disciplines are the things we do to be able in the moment to do the thing that we want to do. So I think I tend to think about some of this stuff in like a really just linear, like A leads to B, super practical kind of way. And in my own faith, I kind of went on this journey in my teenage years where I was trying to figure out if I did in fact believe that the Bible was true and did I believe in Christianity. And that came down to me and figuring out, okay, do I believe the Bible over other religious books? Like, I'm going to need to look into Mormonism and I'm going to need to, like, read other religious texts like the Quran and see, do I just believe in Christianity because I grew up in a Christian household? Right. Um, or do I actually believe it? Yeah. And so a lot of my faith kind of rests on 
the Bible being true. Like I've mm-hmm. done my research, I've read all the arguments, and I personally believe the Bible is completely true. So whatever it says, I should do that thing. That just seems like a linear Right. point for me. Yeah. So when I started learning about spiritual disciplines, which really wasn't until I was in college, it just became, okay, there are these commands in the Bible, so I should do them. Like that was just kind of cut and dried. And I, I looked this up beforehand. I couldn't remember off the top of my head, but there are a thousand and fifty commands in the New Testament for Christians to obey. And there are 613 in the Old Testament. A bunch of the ones that are in the New Testament are just like repeating ones that were also in the Old Testament. Um, but it seems like as Christians, if we're reading the Bible, that we would just do all of these things that God tells us to do. A thousand and fifty sounds like a lot, but that we would at least try some of them. Right. Why should we do spiritual disciplines? I think it's not really about this logic of it's, the Bible says that we should do it. It's that simple. I think it's yeah. really more complicated than that. What's your take on why? Well, yeah. OK, so it's more complicated because you're a human being, right? Like if I was a good robot, I think I would do that pull that off just fine but I think like well like when you back up first of all discipline isn't ever sexy and so like I'm I'm like I don't even know who's listening to this podcast right now because this is like who wants to listen to a podcast on spiritual disciplines you know and like it's just like everything else in life weirdly it's like unbelievably uh we want to run 100 miles away from it and at the same time it's probably the biggest area of breakthrough for anybody who wants to accomplish the things that they like dream about accomplishing or being and so um so i think that when you when you talk about when you lay those out and you're like okay the bible says it why don't we do it well yeah, like probably like just go ahead and map on any of your examples of like, yeah, yeah. So like they, uh, my diet says that I should do this. Why don't I do it? And it's like, because in the moment that life just seems very differently, right? When I wake up in the morning, it's like, cool, just be an hour early to work today. You'll knock everything out and get it done. But you roll around in bed. Like, why do you do it? And the reality is it's because we're just like, we're a little weak. We're a little lazy. And like, um, we have, uh, I know that this is the way that I am. My overall vision is pretty clear. I slack in my day to day. Um, and so basically like all, whatever these spiritual disciplines are built in to, to, um, they're designed to say, Hey, listen, like these are a thousand things. They're not like, um, they're not, uh, important in and of themselves. There's a goal at the end of it. So the question becomes, what is your vision for why you're even doing any of this? Right. Uh, take your example. I read all the stuff I needed to read. I found out the Bible was true. And so then I started what obeying the things in the Bible, but for what, like, what's the point? And so I think that's one of the things that's really important is to just, is to be aware of the goal from the beginning. And I don't know of any other way to say this than the goal of any of these spiritual disciplines is to have relationship and intimacy with a person who is God. And so if that's defined as the goal, then I think a lot of the disciplines start to fall in place and make more sense. So I know like somebody broke this example down for me with like a relationship. It's crazy because God builds in all of these analogies in the Bible that make it so clear exactly what the relationship is like to him. So it's like we are the bride of Christ. He sets up like a spousal relationship. Um, God, the father, he sets up a parent child relationship and all these things are like, if somehow like we lose them and we get lost in more like the logistics and the way that things are supposed to work. And you forget that like relationship is the entire idea. 
And he's even given you physical metaphors in your actual human existence to teach you exactly how it would be. So I take like the spouse scenario and say like, could you imagine if there was a husband and wife? And let's say you just overheard the husband talking to one of his friends in like a coffee shop somewhere. And he was like, yeah, I'm actually, um, I'm trying to like, um, pay for some of my friends like coffee because it's just really difficult for me to pay for my wife's coffee. So I'm just exercising this spiritual discipline of like paying for my coffee. So eventually I can be generous to my wife. You would be like, you're such a jerk. <laughs> like, why don't you just pay for your wife's coffee? You know? Or if it was like, yeah, I'm actually, I'm taking a fast from like sports right now because I just want to like, I need to be able to give more time to, um, to my wife. And so I'm going through the spiritual, I'm going through the spiritual, the marital discipline of fasting. Right. People would be like, Oh, it just seems so like robotic. Like, why don't you just like carve out some time to spend with your wife? It's weird. Um, that's the thing is like with the goal being relationship, you see how hollow all of the exercise of these, these things become when you're not actually aiming towards the goal of relationship. Right. So the husband who, um, like, you know, prayer is a spiritual discipline of talking to God, right? So it's like the husband shouldn't practice talking to other people so he can finally talk to his wife. He should enter into talking to his wife. And that's what we should be doing, right? And like, the reality is, maybe I can't chat too much to God right now, because the weaknesses I view this world as too like in my face and the and the eternal as not as much. But maybe I can get there by honing the spiritual discipline so I can have that constant relational life of talking. And so that's the thing. I think defining the goal is important because if you um, no, you won't be better by the time it's done. You may even be worse if you just go through the exercises of reading your Bible, giving, having solitude and silence, all that type of stuff. But if you know that the goal is to actually have relationship, it makes it so much easier, at least for me, to actually say, okay, cool. Like I'm giving generously in these ways because God made me generous. And the closer I get to who God is, this godliness that it talks about in second Timothy, then the closer I get to godliness, the closer I actually get to like communion with my savior. And so I think that's, that's the aim. Basically the, the disciplines were always built for relationship. They weren't built to make us better people, I guess, you know? Yeah, I think it's like God knew that we were going to struggle to have a tangible relationship with an invisible God. Yeah. And so he gave us all of these. It's like a map or toolkit for like, hey, here's how to have a relationship with me. So much of the Bible is teaching us about God's character and then how to like experience that, how mm -hmm. to actually have a relationship with him in that. And I, I think that sometimes we really need to get our heart in the right place before we practice spiritual discipline. Like I'm just going to throw fasting out there. If my heart is really in the place of I want to lose weight and I practice fasting from that place, it might be hard for me to, to get to the place where I experience God as part of fasting. But at the same time, I think sometimes maybe I don't really feel like I know that I want to talk to God, but if I just make myself do it every day for a little while, then I'll realize that I do really want to talk to God and I'm yeah. getting better at it. What are your thoughts on the like practicing it before your heart is in the right place? Yeah, you know? I, I think I think totally because it's just like everything else in life. Um, and I'm, so I rem my, my dad, when he was playing basketball for um, 
what, like he went to a Catholic high school. So when he was playing basketball for their Catholic high school, during Lent, they would have these Friday night games and they'd want to finish the game. And like normally what they would do throughout the year is go get cheesesteaks, but in Lent they couldn't eat meat. And so what they would do is like if they won the game, their coach would make would put a call into the priest who can kind of give you like I forget the term for it or whatever, but he can kind of like give you a free pass for the night so then you can go eat the cheesesteaks. And it's kind of funny because you're like, you know, somewhere in the beginning of all of this, somebody actually felt this, right? Like mm-hmm. the establishment of Lent was this idea where somebody was like, this abstaining from meat is actually like helping me connect. And then it just kind of like gets passed down from generation to generation to the point where a bunch of 18 year olds are basically like waiting for their coach to give them the thumbs up. That they can go get cheesesteaks because they don't really care, you know, and that's the slippery slope. The, the, the disciplines, even though their intention is relational, they can become, become religious. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that in mind, you, I guess you could have this idea. Well, lo, OK, let me just run away from all that and I'll just have this messy, loosey, goosey thing that has no discipline. That would be really spiritual. But the problem is there, you probably will never do anything. You know, it's kind of like the non-committal like uh, marriage relationship or something. It's like, well, I'll see you when I see you. OK, tell me how that works, you know. So I think there's like there's this idea. And like a lot of people put into this phrase, attention leads to adoration. That's the thing in life is like whatever you're going to be doing, like whatever you actually put your attention towards, those will eventually become the things that you adore. And so um, if like if silence and solitude, if that if you're putting that kind of attention to thing, I can't take a day of silence and solitude and not think about God. But a day without silence and solitude, I actually can go through the entire thing and never have that. You know, Mm -hmm. and so for me, the silence and solitude, the day that I carve out, call it Saturday with no phone, that attention leads to adoration. And then I always end the day thinking, why don't I live like this more? And why do I not do this every day? Right. So I think, yeah, I've always tried to keep that in mind. Attention leads to adoration and just kind of push in that direction. And it becomes an important question. What do you put your attention towards? Because you can pick that right now. That's the cool thing. Like, this is a world that basically is begging for your attention at all times. If you haven't chosen where to put your attention, the apps will get it. The news will get it. Like everything will take it from you. But if you choose ahead of time where to put your attention, you will eventually adore those things. If you don't, you're going to adore other things that you never wanted to adore. I really like the practicality of that. I've already exposed myself as being a robot, so I think it's fair for me to say. But um the the like if this then this has always appealed to me and i think it when i engage with people and talk about my relationship with god their relationship with god there's so much it's a mystery like there's just so much in scripture that yeah. we don't have the answers to like i i can't explain what actually happens in someone's heart when they experience salvation like i get what the bible says about it great mystery But there are all of these things that feel really practical. Like people are asking these questions, man, I really just wish that I experienced God more deeply, or I wish I knew how to build a relationship with him, or I wish that I could hear God's voice, whether it was audibly or just, you know, in my heart or in my spirit. Yeah. And it seems like it's almost hard to find out as a Christian sometimes that the things that you should do are made clear in scripture. And that there are these 1,000 commands of things like, I want you to do this. Yeah. And what's God's will for my life? Well, it's pretty clear when right. you read the Bible that there are a lot of things that God has his will for us. Um, so I think that's something I get kind of excited about and thinking about spiritual disciplines is people who've been living in this 
sort of tension of this feels so mysterious. Like I'm walking around in the dark in my faith and I don't know what to like how to live this out Mm -hmm. and to find out that God sent you a really specific invitation that had kind of a how to list. Yeah. Um, can feel refreshing (laughs) for robots. Yeah. For robots. (laughs) Um, So I want to get personal on this. Um, I like being theoretical and thinking about it in a more general sense, but would love to know for you, is there a specific spiritual discipline that you found has really helped your faith to grow? Yeah. So the, like the two that, the two that pop into my head are the two that I'm teaching on at Ardmore because I self-selected those because I'm terrified of all the other disciplines. Um, no, but I, I think like, so I, I take a, I take a retreat in the beginning of the year and I kind of plan out how my year is going to go. And I think four years ago, um, I was kind of approaching the idea of generosity and trying to figure out, like I looked at my life and was like, I'm actually just not exactly a super generous person. And, I think my like taxes show that um, even though I feel generous in my day to day, when I look at my life, I'm actually not. And so I realized that I had like a couple things that I was battling. I was kind of worried about like my um, I think the two main categories I was worried about was my identity. I wanted people to know that I was successful and then my security. I never wanted I always wanted to have something to fall back on, you know, and I really felt challenged in the discipline of generosity. And so there was like a weird personal way that I felt like God was asking me to start giving. And so I started giving, um, a lot more and more in this kind of new direction of like what was personally challenging me to give, which was a lot more like faith kind of oriented giving. And I remember when I first wrote those checks, I was like, geez, like what I could do with this money personally is like nuts, you know? And it was so hard to let that go. Um, But attention leads to adoration. What I found was that in every single instance where that money went, I actually found a way to help those organizations professionally. And it led to some of the things I'm most proud of in my life, like Mm -hmm. legacy type stuff to the point where, um, you know, I, I say like with, um, water is basic, basically like over, over a year of giving, I was able to join the board of water is basic because they were like, all right, this guy has some buy-in to the vision we're doing. And I did that. Then they asked me to go to South Sudan and that was me experiencing, you know, one of the worst, worst off three countries in the world, you know, to actually see like the pain of the least of these and to like meet face to face with people who have like you know, they may die of typhoid tomorrow because of what their, you know, dirty water and all that type of stuff. Um, it was like such an eye opening thing to me to be able to, uh, to have very different questions for God and to grow so much in my faith. Like, how are you the God of these people and me? Um, how do you like, just who are you? It's like re-asking, you know, reintroduce yourself to me because this is a whole game changer. But from that experience, I think so much, so much began to change in who I was and how I thought about my own faith, the way culture maps onto my faith. And I think that God really used that to change me in a super profound way. So much now that I'm actually excited to give to things because I know that when I give to something that God is basically going to be like, it's like a little wink every time I send a check in the mail. It's like, you're never going to believe what's going to happen with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, that's cool. Cause like, not only do I know, like by doing that, like I'm, I'm performing the actual ritual act of loving my neighbor as myself. But obviously the way that God built 
things into the fabric of like life, there's something that's going to be transformative in me that is going to make me be that is going to make me become more like Christ, whether I want to or not. Um, That's the cool thing about doing the stuff that's commanded, you know? So that, that giving dimension is one thing. And then there, there was a year where I basically took my Saturdays, um, without a cell phone, you know, and just like, kind of like woke up without a phone and did my mornings, um, and then tried to make it to dinner without like really touching technology. And that was a, that was a bit of a thing for me because like I work in, in the industry that I work in, it's like to, to take off weekends is not the norm necessarily. And so, I'm at this age where like, you know, I run two companies, I'm pushing things, like everything's kind of like moving. And so it's like a little bit suicide to just be like, I don't work on weekends, you know? That's definitely not like the startup life. I don't write a book about how to launch a su- successful startup by not working weekends. But um, I had, uh, again, on a retreat that I took, um, this was three years ago, I guess, I was, I, um, I came across, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna remember the Psalm right now. Um, it's, I think it's Psalm 113, um, and it's, uh, unless the Lord builds um, the house, the builders labor in vain, and unless the Lord guards the city, um, the night watchman might as well sleep. That's Eugene Peterson's translation. Um, here's what's so funny about that that psalm. Are you looking up the right psalm for yeah, me? Yeah, I'm looking it up, just in case other people want to look it up. It's Psalm 127. 127. You were close. You were pretty close. I knew it was in the Psalm of Ascent. Um, So, so unless the Lord guard, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Right? There's a lesson for life just in that. Unless the Lord guards the city, the nightmen, the night watchmen might as well sleep. And it was like looking at that and being like, unless the Lord builds the house, okay, that has everything to do with my identity, right? Mm -hmm. Then, if you're trying to build your identity, the labor is completely in vain. Unless uh, the Lord guards the city, that's all about your security, right? So you have identity and security in this psalm, and it's basically like saying God is responsible for both of these things no matter what you do, you know? And then the next part of the, of the verse is even weirder. It says, um, children are the Lord's greatest gift, and happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. <laughs> it's just funny because you're like, okay, uh, build the house, guard the city, and also, I guess, have a bunch of kids or something like that, like if you took it literally. But I love what Eugene Peterson says about this um, in A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, the book. He says, this is an interesting comparison that God is drawing here. He's basically saying, look at these two things, your identity and your security, they actually won't, you'll never be able to improve them outside of your relationship with God, and he's going to be the one that does it. Just like, you know how kids are made? How do you actually make kids? And actually, all you really do is you have this moment of like really insane pleasure, and then you just wait around while God stitches something together in the womb of the woman, right? And like, that's what our work is supposed to be like. Our our work is supposed to be like, you know, this like, this thing that like where we put in the thing that we're supposed to put in, right? Which is, you know, sex is a weird metaphor for like how this whole thing starts or whatever, but it's like, this moment of passion or whatever, but like God is basically saying, I will grow your identity and security the way that I will grow a child, which is me doing it in a way that you can't control or understand. All you have to do is sit there and wait and watch. And so I know that I like in, in my world, like I have to be responsible to the things that I've put in motion, but it was trusting God that like the, the things that I have put a stake in the ground and said like, all right, I'm starting businesses. I'm doing this type of stuff what is going to happen, I think that I can take 
my Saturday and Sunday and take that off because I think that God is about growing this stuff more than necessarily I am. And listen, if it's like, if it doesn't grow as fast and as crazy as the next guys, then it wasn't the, it wasn't, that wasn't the best thing for me. And maybe like slow growth, long growth, whatever was, and God has me doing these other things while this is growing steadily too. And he could capsize the whole thing and that would be the best for me. Like that's the good thing about it is you're basically saying like, I surrender my identity, I surrender my security, and I know that this is in God's hand and he's going to grow the best things in my life the same way he grows a baby. I think of it as being like um, these commands that God has given us in the Bible are really like um, invitations that he's sending us. Like, hey, show up here at five o'clock. Like it sounds Mm -hmm. like a command, but it's an invitation. And it's really to like a surprise party for us or something (laughs) Um, or for Jesus. Maybe it's more (laughs) appropriate. But where it's like I think going back to the comparison of the bride that, you know, the bride is preparing herself, not just for the sake of preparing herself, mm-hmm. but because there's going to be a wedding, like there's right. going to be this glorious wedding. Yeah. And so when God has given us these written invitations in scripture and people have laid on their lives so that we can hold them in our hands and read them, then if we RSVP yes to those things and say like, Lord, I see that you're inviting me in your word to practice fasting or Sabbath or generosity or celebration or church as a form of gathering or like worship, sacrifice, whatever those, there's a lot of disciplines, but whatever they are. Yeah. If I said yes and showed up to the place where God said to show up. Yeah. What could happen? Right. Yeah. And it's that, I think you mentioned it at Ardmore. I I think the question was something like, what is your vision of how deep and intimate your relationship with God could be? Yeah. And if you could picture that, then entering into these spiritual disciplines wouldn't feel boring. It would feel like the most exciting thing you ever got to do. Yeah. And I think that's, that I guess is the big question. And the thing I, I have to ask myself and why even take those like retreats in the beginning of the year is what is my, everybody always has vision for where they want to be, but like the, your vision should be for who you want to be. Who do you want to be? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the question of every believer and really should be the question of every person is who's the person that you want to be. And one of the most insightful moments I ever had was when I was with my counselor and he was basically like, so what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like from like a career standpoint or whatever, I was like, I don't know. And he goes, well, let me ask you a question. Who's the person you respect most in your life? And I named that person and he goes, what do you respect most about them? And I basically named five things. And it was like, okay, I wouldn't be very surprised if those are the five things that you want to be in life. And it was so easy once I did that to get the vision of, oh, actually, this is it. Like, I want to be a person and I I can name those things. I want to be that kind of person. Now the discipline is what do I do every day to eventually become, to have those type of character traits and to live with that kind of consistency like that person does. Yes, 100% the goal of spiritual discipline. And I've been kind of reflecting on like um, in John, like when, um, when, when John talks about John the Baptist and this whole idea around I'm kind of rereading and reimagining um, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, I always had this, this image of like a dude in New York city with like those end of the world posters holding them up, like repent, repent, or like you're all going to burn, you know? And I think you're dead on that. Like all of the commandments are really just invitations into a better life. Like what we're actually looking for. Um, and I think about when John said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I don't think he was saying that mean. I think he was excited. Repent means turn away, right? It's like Mm -hmm. just, and basically all John is saying to people is like, don't go that way. 
don't go towards selfishness and bitterness and fractured relationships. And and death. And, right. It's like, don't go towards that. Go this way towards wholesome relationships with people, consistency within yourself, peace joy that you can give to others like walk this way and that's all it was is like it's an invitation towards that and the thing that's like you know we wish that we could microwave those things but at the end of the day you will actually need to exercise the muscles to move more in that direction just like everything else in life worth fighting for and if the church practiced all of those things if they were like oh the invitations i can't wait you know if we as individuals and as collectives did that I think so much of the imagery of the church as the bride of Christ, as a city on a hill, would feel true. Like people would view the church in this way of like, oh, their lives are really different somehow, yeah. you know, or uh, the way that they view human flourishing is so different. Yeah. But as it is, I think we haven't answered a lot of those calls um, or there's certainly room for us to say yes to more. And I say that as someone sitting here that knows there's room for me to say yes to a lot more yeah. spiritual dis- disciplines than I have walked in this far in my life. One of the ones that we'll touch on in Ardmore that Adler and I are teaching about is confession. And I'm teaching at it from a place of total weakness because I'm really bad at that spiritual discipline. Mm -hmm. I'm an eight on the Enneagram and I don't like vulnerability. It's just anything that would involve like maybe getting really vulnerable. I kind of try to say no to that or avoid it. Pretty good at being authentic and transparent. I can be like, oh, well, I struggled once with this thing. Right. And it was this really ugly moment in my life. Yeah. And like, I had all this sin. And, um, you know, I'm really a broken person. I'm really relatable. Yeah. Like, I can present that kind of stuff. But the things that I'm wrestling with right now or the sin I'm struggling with presently, right. I, I want to like get through it on my own. Yeah. And with the Lord. It's not like totally in myself, but. I like want to get through it and then be able to be honest about it in the, in the past tense and confession calls us to be honest about it. Like in the present tense while it's happening right? and not just to confess to the Lord, Hey, I'm really struggling with this sin. God, like, can you help me? Which is hard enough. Um, but instead to go to some other human and say, Hey, here's like the worst thing about me. (laughs) Um, we're like, here's this huge struggle. Yeah, Totally. Do you have one for you? That's oh, like, no, I don't like, struggle, Anna. It's like, yeah, it's totally different for me. I feel I'm like just, to ask you, I had to be like, this is mine. Well, I mean, come yeah. on. Like, confession is something that, like, I would say confession is a gaping hole missing from the church. And I think one of the things is, like, I've, yeah, I've always, like, kind of struggled with the, the idea in general because I, I think, like, there's not a great format for it, mm-hmm. right? Well, when um, we get religious about it, we approach it with like a confessional booth and it's mm-hmm. like you do this and this and it can turn out to be like, well, I think even in our culture, we're dying yeah. for a confessional booth. Yeah. Like it's like, we just don't do it anymore. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> like no one literally, there is no format for confession. Um, because like, I even think sometimes in my life where I'm like, I wish there was just a confession booth. Cause I, I need to tell this to somebody, but I can't tell it to anybody, you know? And I think like the rise of therapy like in the world today is basically just because no one knows you, no one knows who to confess to. And worse, our culture has said there's nothing to confess. Just process everything with your therapist. And Chica Chesterton, of course, has this, um, has this, who quote. has a great quote about cheese. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> he does. Chica Chesterton has this quote about, um, about this exact thing. Um, he says, and I think it's like such an, it's like an epitaph for our culture. It says, um, He says, 
The modern philosopher told me that I was in the right place, and I was depressed even in acquiescence. But when the minister told me that I was in the wrong place, my, my soul sang for joy like a bird in spring. And it's so crazy because like, I think one of the joys of confession that our culture is completely missing out on is this idea that like, it actually feels good to take the burden off you that comes with the secrecy of the thing. And so all of us walk around with these huge backpacks of everything that we quote unquote can't talk about. And we just live with those things forever because it doesn't seem like there's a safe space for any of it. And that eventually is like murderous to your mm-hmm. soul, you know? So I would like, yeah, like I think there's, I, I would agree. Like I have like, that's probably the same one for me. Um, but I think like we probably need to do a better job. I don't know if the answer is that you just run out of this room and then say, okay, guys, here's like the worst things I've ever done. The reality is I think there's something intuitive that you're not doing it because you don't feel safe because you don't totally feel loved by people. And there's there's more complexity there than like we want to admit. My theology where it's broken here is that let's just have therapy is that I believe (laughs) (laughs) I believe ultimately that whatever Jesus said on the cross really isn't enough for whatever I have yeah, done that's wrong. Yeah, there you go, right. Um, like, there's certainly something there in my theology yeah. that is off that makes me believe that. And so I I feel unsafe, not even just in relationships, but, like, in my theology. Something cool that happened with confession, now I'm just going to, like, I got to find, like, a whole new thing to teach on confession in February because I'm going to say, like, <laughs> the things that are that are on my mind. <laughs> um, but when we started meeting as a launch team for the Ardmore campus, one of the things the Lord put on my heart during launch team meeting was to have everybody go around and confess something that they're struggling with presently did not need to be their like largest, deepest sin, but that that would become something we regularly do. It's like, if we're going to start a church together and the culture of that church is going to radiate outward from our relationships, it has to start here. It can't like be something we talk about here and expect other people to do. It has to start here. And it was such a refreshing experience. Um, A a lot of people cried at the thing. (laughs) I mean, some people did pick a deeper sin that they really struggled with that they hadn't told people. Um, And it felt like, okay, this feels like better ground to stand on in the relationships we're building with each other. Yeah. I feel like I've seen with confession, when we don't confess, we we kind of like dam up um, the ability of the gospel to work through in like the circular nature that it has. Mm. And we say, um, I'm not going to confess. Therefore, I don't give you the right to forgive. And so, like, I think something this year we've seen a lot of Christian leaders who have committed sins, it's been publicized, et cetera. And what I feel mad at them about is that they, if they had confessed to their communities their sin at some point, then the rest of the church or even just their community would have had the opportunity to say, the gospel makes provisions for this. Like the mm-hmm. gospel covers this yeah. and we can now forgive you yeah. for what you did. You might lose your leadership position, right. but you can be forgiven. I know we've talked about that book forgiven yeah. um, about the Amish schoolhouse shooting and everything, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that confession kind of opens the door to that. And for me, that's the one that I really want to lean into this year. Yeah. Yeah. I think, geez, like, well, here's, here's the thing too. And it's going back to the, like negatives are tough because it's always like <laughs> I I I feel like there's enough in religion 
to whip yourself for the rest of your life, you know? I've always made this joke my dad constantly laughs at that, like, church service is just always sad. <laughs> like, it's like there's this emotional sad thing that feels like it's like people get into her and they're like, all right, cool, like, we're about to have a service. Then I need to, like, get quiet, bow my head, and just, like, think Be about serious. Right, like, it's yeah. like, and it's like at the end of the day, like, almost everything feels sad all the time. And I'm like man, this feels so upside down. Why is it like this? And I think that's because religion is a very sad thing, whereas relationship can be very joyful. Um, but relationship requires you to put front and center the goal the entire time, especially with, you know, like your thing you said about God being invisible. Isn't that the problem? I remember being at like an event and Kim Walker, the musician, was she was like just having this really honest 15 minute talk or whatever where she was like I have like a couple like three main frustrations with God but the the biggest thing the the thing I'm always like angry at him about is that he's invisible and so I always constantly ask him can you just appear for a second I need to know that you're real you know and I was like this is amazing this person is being that honest about that because isn't that really our number one problem it's like if perfect true love was actually in front of your face, I think it'd be a bit of a different story. And I've always said, I'm like, you know, Paul just seems to have this ridiculous faith when you read the New Testament. And I'm like, well, God, like, you got to cut me a little slack because you knocked him off of a horse and blinded him for a week. If you did that with me, I wouldn't be in these weird moments where I'm like, did I really hear God's voice? Was I real? Like, I would never be in that situation. And so I've prayed like, knock me off of a horse, but from like, I don't know, skip the blindness kind of thing, but do something so that it feels like, you know, that I can see you. That's our big problem, right? Is like the invisibility, the invisibility makes it so difficult. But at the same time, I think when we have a vision for what the end of these things could be, like, um, which in a lot of ways is like, what, what is like the relational life kind of thing is like heaven on earth, right? I, I always tell me and um, Evan, who I started a business with this year, like we, uh, we have this dream where we're going to do a business totally upside down in the way that stuff works, where we're not trying to get rich and retire on boats. Like that's not our thing. You know, we basically run, want to run a very kingdom driven business to see like, if the world can respond to something like that. So like, like Chick-fil-A, you just want to open Chick-fil-A 2.0. <laughs> but he, here, here's what's cool. Like I've always been like, I, people are always like, whatever happens in the church seems to be this thing that people like the, the image that people get from the church. And they mean this building, which is so sad. Cause I'm like, everybody has a little individual responsibility as the church with a big C to actually bring heaven to earth, you know? And I've always thought in business, what I can do is like, I can pay my employees really well. I can share profit with them. I can bring them into like new innovative ideas and I can grow them as a people. And like my whole goal as a business owner is to make sure that my employees know that I'm generous and therefore they will be generous too. And I'm like, man, could you imagine if like business owners around the country who are Christians, if, if the stigma was when some when the average secular person is going on LinkedIn, they're like, all right, I need to apply to jobs. I wonder if the CEO of this place is a Christian because they always overpay their people. Like, could you imagine if that was the reputation we have? Well, that's what happens when you hone the spiritual muscle of generosity. Like when you get into that spiritual discipline, eventually it becomes like I literally I have a certain salary that I kind of want to make per year. And then besides that, if my company made $10 million, I don't need any of it. I'd figure a way to do stuff that would actually bless the people that worked for me or beyond. And imagine living in a world where every Christian business operated in that kind of way. It would be insane what would happen to our culture. Like 
much more transformative than whatever we're trying to do in politics. <laughs> yeah, I think that brings us to a good stopping place for this conversation. It doesn't feel like the end, but I feel like it's just where we're going to like pause in this longer conversation of many different podcasts. Um, I think the encouraging thing about you talking about putting this out in business is like, okay, we're just going to stop now because Mike's going to go start this business. <laughs> and hopefully all of you, like something jumped out at you from what we said in this podcast today, you know, like we paused and prayed before and just asked that the Lord would give us the right words to encourage people and to help you know how to go about living your life as a Christian. Like that's what we're all really trying to figure out. So hopefully there's some kind of spiritual discipline that you maybe feel excited or terrified of practicing and you have the resources through looking at scripture um, or just getting on the old Amazon.com and uh, buying a book and reading about it <laughs> um, to go out and see what that might look like for you to practice something new. And we look forward to hearing stories from lots of people in the church about, you know, how these different things impact their life. And we will see you next time on the CC Delco podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, head to ccdelco.com to stay up to date with all of our sermons, our resources, all the events that are going on at Calvary Chapel of Delaware County. We'll see you in our next episode and we pray that you're blessed this week.